special episode. The experience, the history, the, the people um, that, that went through uh, the experience of board gaming in the Philippines. And since it's variable play, we'd love to voice out and thank the people that we've encountered through the way and maybe even sort of shed light on how further can we can we improve the community? How further can we um, better this hobby of ours? Um, and these guys are coming from different uh, styles or genres of gaming, but they do have some commonalities as well. So I have here with me Sir Mark Humphreys and Sir Adrian Manahan. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. You've played board games since the 70s, right? Yeah. And you started out in the Philippines. We, we um, I have a bit of extra boost from... Uh, I had a little bit ahead because we had coffee together. Um, and could you tell me how you got into the hobby back in the 70s? How did you start uh, into board gaming? Um... A friend, a friend of mine and I in high school, in well, not even high school, middle school or whatever. Okay. We, we were into all sorts of games, anything that was uh, um, mass market games, Milton okay. Bradley, Parker uh, uh, Brothers, and so on. And eventually, I don't remember how, but uh, I think uh, I think probably my friend got a, um, a Navalon Hill game from his. Uh, parents for Christmas or okay. birthday and that's how we got into it we just started playing Avalon Hill and SBI and 3M and the big publishers from that time and uh, I basically never stopped I, I remember um, Sir Jay Mata mentioned uh, before that you get uh, and also Doc Carlos mentioned that you get um, board games back in the day through the PX store because it's we have uh, US Marines in uh-huh. Subic and they would have the access and the information about board games. It's not something widely you know, sort of mainstream sold in the in the Philippines. Not in the seventies. From well, I wasn't here in the seventies, but um, when did you move here? Right? I moved here twenty over twenty years ago. Twenty ninety five. 95. Early 90s. Okay. Yeah. I see. 2021, something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, because my youngest was born here and she's turning 20. I know it's more than 20. I don't know if it's 21 yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, uh, when we started our club, uh, two of the guys had been playing here since the 70s. Okay. And what what they told me was they were getting the games from their parents. Okay. They would see them in magazines or something. And right. Each time their father would go to the States or to Europe, they'd order games. So, um, Manuel, Pepe, I know they got tons of uh, Avalon Hill and SPI and GDW games, but I don't think they ever bought any here. Okay. I think in the 80s, a lot of people bought them here. Was Nova Fontana already around in the 80s? I think so. But I think yeah. more late 80s, 90s. I okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I would imagine, yeah, when the bases were here, right. all the PX stores everywhere yeah. in the world would carry, uh, especially war games. Yeah, because in, um, we just have uh, 
the game of the generals and chess and the typical fair of board games. But we wouldn't have... My exposure to board games was kind of even much later. Uh, I didn't really know that they existed. They sort of were just mm. in the side of my... the corner of my eye. I wasn't really paying well, attention. E- even when I got here 20 years ago, Nova Fontana had TSR and Avalon Hill games, and they had Strategy and Tactics, which was a, a uh, magazine put out at that time by TSR. Okay. Um, but TSR had bought the SPI line, so there were TSR SPI games. Mm-hmm. There were the D&D and all the different TSR RPGs. I think D&D hit around the 80s, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, so Here, yeah. <coughs> so it's like... Yeah, it's like... I mean, I, I can't really speak of anything in the hobby before 2008. Yeah. I didn't know it existed before 2008. I'll have a story for you later. About <laughs> a really, really funny story too about how I got into board games. Okay. But the way I see it, and the way Mark described, and Mark and I have like talked about this before. In a way, yes, board games, as they were globally, were here back then, in the 70s, in the 80s, in Nova Fontana, in the 90s. But... It's not as if they were a distinct, like, okay, I'm getting into board gaming, or here's a mm-hmm. board game shop. It's more like Nova Fontana. It's one part of a larger geek or a larger, you wouldn't call it geek back then, right? A larger hobby yeah, kind yeah. of store. It used to be just called the Hobby Games, correct? And then, and then it was... There was a, a period where they tried to uh, use, in the 80s, they tried to use the term adventure gaming. Right. Um, SPI, TSR, and a few of the other publishers got together and they tried to come up with a term that encompassed role-playing, encompassed board gaming, encompassed sports games, everything. They came out with this, and things like Car Wars and whatever, they came out with an umbrella term, Mm -hmm. adventure gaming. And there was even some magazines called, there was a magazine called Adventure Game, but it never really caught on. Um, Speaking of magazines, how big is your magazine collection, Mark? Because uh, you showed me a photo and it's yeah, <laughs> quite a. I don't know. Uh, um, yes, most of it is storage. More than <laughs> more than two thousand, right? More than two thousand issues. I know it's more. I don't know. <laughs> and these are mostly uh, hobby uh, magazines. Or yeah, they're board gaming and war gaming magazines. Oh, okay. From. Uh, from club newsletters from the 1960s and 70s to pretty much all the different magazines that were that were board gaming hobby magazines up until about I don't know the year 2000 starting 2000 I, I only would pick and choose right. but before 2000 I had pretty much everything that came out and how about you Adrian how did you start into board gaming interestingly I mean, and and before I get into that, I was just, I've been thinking about this, you know, we, we talked yesterday about, we, we kind of talked on chat about, you know, talking about, okay, we're going to discuss kind of a history of uh, board gaming, what's been happening over the last few decades. Um, if I were to think about it, and this might be a simplistic yeah. sort of generalization, uh, there's, at least in the Philippines, the way I see it, uh, there are three, I see three chunks. The first chunk is, you know, Mark Humphreys. 
Mm. <laughs> well, maybe not necessarily here. You know? <laughs> but Mark Humphreys, all the way up until you got here, and maybe probably up to up to maybe the mid-90s, late 90s, or when did when did the OGM, the first OGM, the first club start to form? Uh, well, our, our uh, Fillmore Gamers formed in 20 years ago. When, right, basically, right. when I got here, but the OGMs were already exist. When I found out about them, they were already existing. So, uh, like I the Greenbelt one, did you? The Greenbelt one, I don't know. I'm bad with dates. I don't know how long ago. But two thousands, right? Would be. Yeah, yeah. It was so probably, let, let's say roughly. Any people were mostly just in niche playing yeah. their own groups up until maybe sometime in the early two thousands. So even there was an there was an effort to try to get people together. Okay. But the OGMs didn't start out from board gaming. They started out from role playing. Yes. Right? There was uh, Vic, who passed away, sadly, mm-hmm. what, two uh, years ago now? Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Adrian, the, the other Adrian. Yeah. Um, the story I heard from them was that they had ages. Uh I forget what it stood for. Association for Eclectic Gamers and Storytellers or something yeah, like cool. that. But it, it, what they were trying to do was they were trying to create an umbrella organization for all the different role-playing groups. Because role players tend to, you play in this guy's house on Thursday, you play in that guy's house. Yeah. But you, you kind of have these pockets, but yeah. they don't. There's not too much cross-pollination. There's no interaction. So the, they, they, they wanted to create this umbrella organization um, reminiscent of some of the clubs that they had before in the universities. Um, and they'd have a open gaming meet. The idea was to get these people from these different pockets yeah. to interact with each other. And there was some role-playing, but it turns out that if you're going to meet in a cafeteria, it's easier to do a couple board, play some board games than it is yeah. to do yes. role-playing. So Not enough time for so for people start Yes, yeah, so people started bringing Euros and different board games, and little by little, the board gaming became the main emphasis mm-hmm. of that, and new people were drawn in who weren't, who weren't necessarily role-players, who were just going to the OGMs to play board games. Right. Cool. So, the way I see it, the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, board games were here, role-playing games were here, adventure games were here. People mostly... But there was no community. There was no community. Okay. People mostly tended to themselves. Early 2000s, I would call that a new, a different age, a different right. age of it. There was this idea of coming together. Mm. But there was no critical mass. It was, it was just 100, 200 people. And there... Now that's that in that I'll call it the second age. In that, in that second age, uh, in the middle of that second age is when I came into right uh, board gaming. About I came into it about two thousand. But, but just to add to that, I guess the 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 dawn of Magic the Gathering at nineteen ninety five sort of pushed yes. the Philippines to sort of wake up and take notice about these tabletop gaming hobbies. So the late seventies. All the new blood, all the teenagers went from board gaming into role playing. Yeah. Then later on, into video games and computer games, yeah. and then into magic and so on. Yeah. So the board gaming generation were getting older and older because right. there was no new blood. And new blood only started coming in 
now in this age <laughs> that 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 Adrian is that. talking about yeah. with things like board game, uh, starting from like um, um, our local side, right? Well, Settlers of Catan is yeah. what is what kind of told more of the mass market about yeah. uh, uh, about uh, around, yeah. But, oh, really? But I never know knew about it at that time. Like, yes, because you have to be it, in the know. Again, I guess here. Again, here, seventies, eighties, nineties. You just it just had to be something you were exposed to. Mm, it wasn't okay. very mainstream. No one was pushing yeah. it. Right. It was just one luck. It's people. more. It's luck. Perchance you knew about it. Correct. Wow. You encountered it because your I, parents I were miniatures. I would see. Well, miniatures is are a much older hobby than than board game. Okay. Uh, um, and the Philippines had been known for for, for miniatures painting. Okay. I mean, okay. You can find ads in old 1980s magazines where guys were doing Napoleonic miniatures oh. here and stuff like that. Where those people went, I have no <laughs> idea. You know, now okay. you don't hear about it anymore, and there's no really historical miniatures players. No, we have to start. I, I, I know about. We'd have to start searching for. <laughs> but just, just for yeah. for cataloging. I know. I know one least. guy in our Yahoo group. When uh, um, he was asking anybody do Napoleonic miniatures, I have a few armies and all that. But he's the only guy I've ever heard of in the Philippines who does historical uh, Napoleonic uh, historical miniatures. But I I agree with you when you said earlier that magic when it came out in the mid nineties did it help? Yes, definitely. Because again, by the nature of magic, it's not you can't play by yourself. So you need but then came the internet and sort of, uh, in the Philippines at the least, people became more aware, oh, apparently there's this hobby that we can try out. I'll, I'll give my thoughts about that. Mm. Actually, before mm. before I get into... So be, before we get into this, and for me, that's the third age. Okay. So okay. there's a third age. <laughs> All right, so let's go seven <laughs> So, no, no, no. So, so, but even before that, even before company and the disruption and the internet again i wanted to go back to so the first age is you know people people brought back to the philippines whether through px or to their parents board games most of, a lot of designer board games a lot of which were made out of the country and it was a personal hobby yeah in the 2000s people started and it started with role playing uh started banding creating communities right Primarily before the 2000s. Before the 2000s. Mid-90s. So this is the OGMs. This is the... It started primarily role-playing, but then it evolved into, hey, you know, we're, we're experiencing gaming here in a pen and paper form. Oh, by the way, I, I have... I My cousin from the States has this game, and it's kind of like you had, you role-playing. Had, you had a group that were playing Euros a lot. Uh, Titus was part Correct. of that group. At one time in the... Mid to late nineties, the top reviewer in board game geek was a Filipino uh, Euro player. Cool, yeah. So, it, we'll there need was to look up the name. <laughs> so again, uh, and for me, the third age starts early two thousand tens, early right. early this decade. There was a time in the two thousands, late nineties, and the two thousands, where people were forming communities around board gaming. And I'd like to tell this story because this is the story people don't... Pe- the, this is the story Mark and I shared. Okay. We're both in it. 
But this is the story that not a lot of people have a glimpse into. Okay. Because most of the people, a lot of the gamers, right, board gamers right now, came in on the third age. Yes. In the second age, so Present. there were... <laughs> right? Me, it's so, an example, yes. So, I, even I came in a bit late into it already, 2008. Um, there were... The, the most... For me, the strongest example of that second age community building around board games was really the open gaming meet or the mm-hmm. OGM. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, it, uh, the, actually, there were two things, sorry. The OGM and a site called tabletopwars.com. Mm. Okay. Right. Um, Correct. Offline and online. And they were actually working together. I'll describe, the OGM essentially was a once a month gathering in a public place of people who wanted to play tabletop games. The idea was to help out uh, those genre, genres, genres, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, di- which didn't have as much exposure. Right, right. So, and I know OGM is uh, a volunteer work, right? It's not, it's not a business, it's a group of people. No, but, what, but when it started falling apart, when they were started falling apart at one point was when different there were different ideas to monetize it and some mm-hmm. people really wanted to monetize it and that it kind of fell apart and but when, it kind of died started, and then it re it had a rebirth when yes, uh, when, when Hans, Hans uh, took over for a short yeah. time. So at the early part and I wasn't there. At the early part I would like to think it was a Volunteer thing as long as mm-hmm. breaks as long as the costs break even we need a venue good for fifty maybe sixty maybe at most hundred people we can gather once a month we can play our tabletop games that mm-hmm. don't have other ve- other as many other venues as the other tabletop hobbies we're good yeah mm. and cross pollinate sorry cross pollinate because a, a a lot of the people who played at the OGMs. They also played somewhere else in their group some other time of the month. Right. But once a month, everybody got together yeah. and played in the same room, basically. And then they, if they wanted to, they, got, they could stand up and join another group. Mm-hmm. They could introduce themselves. Maybe, maybe I, as part of a certain group, we only have access to 10 games because that's only the games we own or a group owns. But being in that larger group of 50, 60 people... I could suddenly say, oh my God, I've never seen that game that Mark owns. I want to play it. What's that? It's called mm. ASL. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so that's one. You know? okay. And then at some point during the, at least when I came in in, the, in 2008, during the height of it, it would get into about 100, 150 people. Nice. Mm. Um, Counterpart to that, and I don't know when this started, there was a site. There was a site primarily. It was a forums-based site. So if you went to the website, it's essentially just a forum. It still exists, I think. I think it's semi-dormant, but I think it doesn't tabletop wars. So maybe maybe the audience could... For a little bit of history, uh, Mark Mark and I used to write a lot of stuff there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's... There's a lot of banned posts there as well. You know, they, we kept them. Yeah. We kept them there were a lot posterity. of arguments. <laughs> um, and there was an event. We remember there was a, a first anniversary of Tabletop Warps at Hobbs and Lands. 
And we had a dinner at Hobbs and Lands, and we had a tournament. <laughs> yeah, we had a tournament for the first anniversary of Table Top Awards. Table Top Awards was Brel. Yeah. So there was this guy, uh, Brel Nang. Okay. Um, really one of the, I would say, pioneers of the mm-hmm. second age. Okay. He, he was, the tabletop hobby was his hobby. He was also a... Uh, he was Mary Trash he was, along. Yes, he was into board games, but he was also by profession a programmer. Okay. So he, he, and he, he, he knew, he had access to a server, he knew how to code the website. It was his hobby and said, hey, I'm going to make a website of primarily of forums so the community can get online and talk about mm. this, the tabletop hobby. Primarily, mm. tabletop board games. Okay. And then maybe on the side, RPGs, CCGs, but primarily the focus being on board games. He made it. I don't know when it started. It was already there when I entered the hobby in 2008. Um, but at, I think, I believe at some point there were, f- I remember about 300 or 400 even 500 registered before facebook became kind of the yes. main <laughs> local yeah. right yeah. Uh, and there was only board game geek correct. and there was tabletop wars for the local guys but then, it was kind of uh, our board game correct. geek oh, okay. and then, but then board game geek was kind of still out there you know we would have, i would have a profile in board game geek mm-hmm. but i'd pay more attention to my tabletop wars profile and my tabletop wars uh, posts. I mean, so at some point. So this is dot com era. No, uh, this is mid two thousand. So oh, mid Second wave already. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so this was already. The, so people were like, at some point, I think I had two thousand five hundred posts. <laughs> uh, and then people wow. were. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because sometimes people would carry on again. This was during the early age of Facebook. People would the conversations people would carry on now. In a Facebook post, like someone would post something, someone would reply, and someone right. would comment and reply. You'd see the same thing in the forums. Yes, yes. And the forums were kind of pretty organized around, hey, here we talk about specific board game titles. Here we talk, here somebody's trying to run mm. a online forum version of a board game. Yeah. Here somebody's trying to write, and people wrote reviews about their games, mm-hmm. yeah. pictures. Our so everything, everything that you would see at the board game geek now. Take that back to the maybe mid two thousands, and then put it into a local community version, mm-hmm. and that's what you would see. Yeah, it was it was mm-hmm. a form. Well, one of the nice things about it was on your profile, you'd have uh, he made these little um, badges badges for each club. Okay. So if you belong to if yeah. if you belong to three different clubs, you belong to uh, Fillboard Gamers, and you belong to. Uh, uh, I forget what Aegis. else. Aegis. And you, you, you'd have so... Belong <laughs> to, to the Marquina gamers. Yeah, club. exactly. So, right. That was great. But yeah. I think he got... He, he and... Well, I don't know how successful he was at monetizing it. It might have, it might have been before its time yeah. from the point of view of... Because uh, he wanted to, he wanted to uh, import games. Mm-hmm. Correct. Kind of like what Gaming Library ended up doing. He right. was the he was the first one really doing oh, that. Cool. And yeah. uh, he he wanted to you know you'd have ads right and, on the side. That it, uh, but that uh, was before. But that then, was pre Google Ads. Pre, probably pre Google Ads. Yeah, I guess I don't know. So I mean, but I he, would, he ended up getting really busy 
on a personal level yeah. in real life. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it wasn't really losing steam until he got busy with other stuff and, and it, it didn't evolve anymore. So mm-hmm. Towards the end of that, what they call the second age, it, it also started to die down. Which reminds me, what I think is a hallmark of the second age is the communities were thriving, mm-hmm. okay, but businesses that wanted to take opportunity of that did not thrive as much. Yeah. In this second age, there were already websites, like tabletop wars. Yeah. They, in fact, there were already board game cafes during this second age period. There were... Uh, I, I, I could, one was a Game Crab. One was Game Crab. Game Crab, yeah. Appar- and apparently, even before Game Crab was there, somebody was telling me a story of in the early 2000s, late 90s, there was another one in Katipunan as well. Sort of a, but a mixed hobby kind of, but included board games, but it didn't succeed as well. So you'd see the communities forming around the second age, but businesses that wanted to to grow with that. To monetize just, it. To monetize it. <laughs> Anybody having this one? Can I sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. Thanks. So didn't really thrive. One more. <laughs> they did. So the, the the businesses that wanted to monetize it didn't really thrive around that time. So right. um, they had success for a short while, but then they weren't scalable. Um, so, but for me, I I really when I think about that time, it's really tabletop wars, mm-hmm. excellent, excellent site. You know, so the things that like everybody right now, if you I don't know if you, you have a board game geek profile. I have, yeah. and you maintain a list of of board games. I there. try to. You try to, right? right, right? <laughs> I try and to. For, for it's board nice game to look at. <laughs> for board game geek, it's like a, even for for all members of board game geek, it's like a badge of honor, right? Yes, yes. Board game, even tabletop wars had that, and there was no way to actually enter it, like in board game geek, like you would type a name and then it would add all the details. No, you had to manually type <laughs> names. You had and your thread. Point, you had your thread. You had your own thread. I, I used Mark to put stopped. the link. Yeah, <laughs> I would just put because, the link to board games. Because, <laughs> because, because Mark had like hundreds of games. I'm not going to write this. Here's my <laughs> list board of game games game. and board game geek. <laughs> and then even, even that whole idea of trading mm-hmm. yeah. where people... Hey, I have this game for That sale. was the first trading marketplace, really, in the oh. Philippines was the Tabletop Wars. And that's that's one of the ways the community also tried. People wanted to let go of their game for cash or wanted to trade it for something else. Yeah. They went to board they went to Tabletop Wars to to tell people, hey, I'm letting go of this game or I'm looking for this game. At some point, games were even back then, uh getting games locally was kind of difficult. It was a volunteer group that said, okay. To help the community, from time to time, we, we some people opened up a thread and said, these are the games available locally. And people would volunteer if they were if they went to Greenbelt. Or there was not, maybe there was no Greenbelt. If they went to Glorietta, if they went to Green Hills, Park they passed by they, they passed by they passed by some hobby store and they saw these games. They would actually list them down and then go to the site and tell people, hey, I saw these games. Oh, there at that time <laughs> because it would help people pre-online e-commerce catalog <laughs> exactly right so again so so the community started to form uh, the story of for me those two things the story of OGM was at some point the original group that formed it kind of 
um, had their differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and because of that, they couldn't maintain a coherent group to handle it. Uh, some new blood, people who got later into the hobby, are my late generation, kind of volunteered to keep it alive. Uh, so that's how, that's the story of that. Until at some point, it also stopped. Well, what restarted the OGM was um, that, well, before they were paying, wherever it was, it was, it was in Ortigas for a while, and uh, at the Cabana, it was in... Uh, Marcus Green, was the OGM. Well, it used to be in, the, in my building, in the rooftop of, 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 okay. of where I live, but uh, it was in Greenbelt, it was even in Starbucks for a while, and... Um, but, well, Starbucks was kind of an exception because it was way too small and all that. But the, the common point was uh, you had to pay rent. Yes. Right? You had to rent a room. Rented a room once in uh, Globe Tower. That, yeah. uh, At some point, we rented, we even rented Jay's, uh, excellent, the, Jay has a publishing company. Right, right. Vibal. Right. And then at the Top floor of that, which was a huge space. Um, there was a small charge for the OGM. Yeah, I think about like 50 bucks. or 100 bucks or something like that to cover the cost. Um, but at, at one point, after it had kind of gone dormant for a while, John C. John C. used to run um, chess tournaments. In Xavier's School. Yeah, but also in um, um, Robinson's. Right? Oh, yeah, that's right. And he said, basically, you might be able to get a space for free because mm-hmm. when, when we do our chess tournaments, we don't pay or something mm-hmm. because it's, you know, the, the malls are trying to do lifestyle thing. Where, okay, okay, okay. And that, that was the key was that the, the um, um, Robinson space was free. Instead of going oh. to the malls like the, the previously... The OGM people will go to a mall and say, hey... Maybe rent this space. Yeah, how, how cheap can you make it? Well, now it was, okay, this is a thing that will attract... People, yeah. Young, well-to-do uh, uh, people to your mall. Right. So it kind of reversed the psychology. Okay. And then th- this is where you start to see the second age turning into the third, in the sense that instead of... Uh, look at the previous venues. Most of the previous venues would be uh, a semi-private place. It would be, it, it, it would be, people would be open and free to go to Mark's rooftop, the, the rooftop of the of, condo building, the condo where, building where he yeah. lives. But, other, but, it's not a, it's not a open public space. Correct. You still have to be in the know to say, oh, there's an OGM there. Yeah. Somebody, somebody would have had to tell you that right. to go there. Yeah. But now, you started to see board gaming in, uh, Real public space. Completely different experience. You were able to even... Mark was even able to attend the very first uh, invitation for uh, Gamer Friends or something? Gathering of Friends. Gathering yeah, of Friends, yeah. That, um, um, the one that... And, uh, Alan Moon? Alan Moon, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really where, where the Americans started knowing about Euros. That was because so of Alan Moon. Just for the new guys... Mark actually met the make the designer of Ticket to Ride, just taping. <laughs> so Which is no big deal. There's a lot of people. On that. 
But yeah, because if you go back to the history of euros, euros obviously were more of um, a European phenomenon, yeah. right? You had proto-euros. You had uh, Sid Saxon games, 3M games, games like Acquire and, and so on. Those existed in the 60s, 70s. Yeah, family games. They were called family games back then to differentiate them from parlor games like what, what Scramble, people use. Exactly. Chess, uh, um, and you had sports games and you had war games and yeah, basically that was it. You Family game, what they used to call family games are what we call today Euros. Mm -hmm. um, but the Americans didn't start to get into the European designs because uh, 3M was an American company. That, those were American produced Euro style before Euros existed. But... Uh, in France, you had the Pion d'Or, and in uh, Germany, you had the... Spielders, yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, the main link between the American gaming community and the European one was mainly via UK, because those mm -hmm. guys were in both worlds. And there was a guy named Mike Siggins, who used to publish a newsletter called Sumo's Karaoke Club. Okay. Was a, he's a big guy, so his nickname was Sumo. Okay. And this was a very thorough critique and analysis of all the latest European uh, games, mm -hmm. European hobby games, or what they call now designer games, too, and all that. <laughs> yes. And a lot of the Americans would subscribe to this mm -hmm. newsletter. Newsletter, not tons, but people in the know. I mean, yeah. you're talking amateur publication. And one of the main guys was Moon, Alan Moon. Mm -hmm. Because Alan Moon used to be the editor of the Avalon Hill General, which was the first hobby magazine, yeah. if you will, the Avalon Hill uh, House Magazine. Mm -hmm. So because of this, some of the in-the-know people in the States, each time they'd go to Europe, they'd bring back games, kind of like what was happening here, with the <laughs> yes. right? And then Moon did this gathering of friends where people could bring this stuff and instead of playing their usual fare, which were American games, uh, whether war games or Ameritrash or or 3M style games, and they 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 would play the so that's how a lot of people got to know the the early European games, things yeah. like uh, Home Store, not just Euros, but mm -hmm. the, uh, all the different types of. Uh, games that this was in what was the year you got that then? I think that was in the 90s. I don't okay. know. I still have the newsletter, the invitation. I can find out. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and you also got to uh, because the, the, the larger market didn't discover them until Settlers of Catan. Settlers yes. of Catan was kind of the, the game that sort of. That created that the explosion. Created the yeah. term gateway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it was the gateway to, to board gaming to a lot of people. But you also got to attend Gen Con. And these guys actually... Yeah, well, I, I, my yeah. last Gen Con was 88. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How was... How, in, in a brief like paragraph, how would you describe Gen Con then? Uh, well, obviously much smaller than today. It, it was... Fairly commercial compared to the other cons of that day, because okay. TSR tended to run a fairly, they were known for running a fairly commercial kind of con. Okay. Um, 
but uh, uh, I'd say uh, I haven't been to the. But when I look at things like Gen Con and all that, it, it seems very much um, not community driven, but industry driven. Mm-hmm. And while um, it hadn't become so much, even the cons that were, um, I mean. The first game conventions, all the game conventions were kind of sponsored by uh, um, game companies. I mean, Origins was the first one, and Origins was Avalon Hill and SPI. Okay. Um, But uh, from what I've heard, Origins still tries to keep that sort of gamer feel. The ones to me that get to play more in Origins compared to Gen Con? The ones that keep the gamer feel are Constant World. Because Content World is non-profit, and it's just a it, it's a bunch of guy. The designers go there to play. Like okay. they have they have at uh, Content World, they have I don't know if it's changed in in the last few years, but uh, they used to have a small dealer room mm-hmm. that was the size of a kitchen. Okay, and it was only open for two hours a day because. The people from the game companies didn't want to be there selling games. They wanted to be in the game room playing games. They wanted to play. So, you know, you know it's more oriented towards playing mm-hmm. as opposed to selling. Even for the game industry people, they don't really go there to sell. A lot of the, like MMP, doesn't sell games at the, there, mm-hmm. even though they could, because they're not interested in that. They're interested in playing. There's a few... Uh, a lot of the uh, cons that are oriented towards a particular game or a particular type of game, mm-hmm. like block games or, or well, the ASL, uh, ASL Oktoberfest, those are completely non, non-commercial. Right. Like uh, the Oktoberfest, if there's any money left over, they have a pizza night and they order <laughs> a few hundred pizzas to finish the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um well, when I look at something like Gen Con, Gen Con is it's like a mixture of Essen and Comic Con. It's not really for playing. It's so for I launching also, new titles. And I would absolutely agree, even though I have not been to any of the earlier Gen Cons, I would absolutely agree with Mark and Sam. But I would differ in the sense that I don't necessarily automatically think it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just how it is. And uh, Sorry, we're talking here about the hobby globally. And a bit of that is kind of happening here as well. Yeah. Um, globally, the hobby has just, and because of the population and everything, has just grown. Everybody wants to be in it. And in some circles, it, it has grown a critical mass that it's actually, it's actually a good hobby to get into. I mean, people like and, and say, hey, that's a great hobby to, to go into. It's not, you know, it's, it has no... It, it has almost has no stigma. So, again, that so now you have a Gen Con that's attended by 70,000 people as mm. opposed to a Gen Con during March time attended by... 3,000, I don't know. 3,000, right? <laughs> so, and then at that point... 70, 70? Wow. Over the span of four days. And then you've got people, <laughs> you've got people cosplaying, you've got people playing games. Obviously... In order to pull something like that off, you have to you you have to have a humongous effort in terms of organization, right. partly funded by profit, partly yes, funded by 
partly if not all, funded by industry. So, yes, they're still gaming. Yes, people can still come there and sit down and play games and bring their bring their games and then try to play an RPG campaign for four days or try to play uh, board games. But there's also a significant component of it which is now retail, which is now companies trying to launch games, companies trying to sell new stuff. More and more of that. More it's less about that, the gaming. I think WBC is probably still more about the gaming since it's very tournament-oriented, for example. Yeah. But Gen Con seems more about product launches, and it seems more uh, it's, like Essen. Well, no, Essen, Essen for is, me, indus- is a very industrial For me, Essen is a very... Well, I've never been this way. Mm. At but, least based on... Because the, the way I see like walkthroughs of it would be like, Booth, 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 booth. It's like tiny booths. Okay, yeah. If, you, okay, if you were a game importer, you'd want to go to Gen Con. Uh, if you're a gamer, I'd say you probably want to go to Gen Con at least once to experience yes. it. But I think probably from a game perspective, it's less than it was before. Yes, because before it would be 80-90%. Let's play a game. Um, let's do the numbers. A floor space of the Indiana Indianapolis Convention Center, which where it's been held for the last seven or seventeen years, okay. Uh, floor space uh, of of where Gen Con is held, the space where the retailers have to uh, to demo, sell to demo to showcase to, yep. to showcase to essentially sell yeah. the, what we call the exhibit hall represents thirty percent of total floor space. Okay. The other 70% is still gaming. That's still not bad. But but the, but again, it's it's people buying something from the retail space. <laughs> mm. And then and, dragging it over. And dragging it over and, and, Ooh, and playing nice. it. And then but also the other spaces are also spaces that are sponsored by the companies. Right. Paizo, who oh, how does Paizo have? Um the RPG Pathfinder, yes. the publisher of Pathfinder, would have, I think, would have about 5% of that whole space. And they would turn three huge ballrooms, three of the biggest ballrooms you can see, like in the Shangri-La ballroom here, would turn that into essentially 100 tables of RPGers wow. playing a campaign for four days. Wow. So, <laughs> I, but again, part of it is still industry-driven. It wouldn't happen if they didn't organize it. Right. But it's still people getting together. But at, at, least, at, the, at the least, they, they still appreciate the point why they're selling the stuff and why those stuff are selling. It's because people want to play. Yes. So they still provide the avenue for right. that. They want to make money, of course. And I'm sure the campaign they're running is their new campaign <laughs> to buy into, etc. Et of course. So, so there's stuff like that. So. Okay. And then Gen Con is also already a mix. It's it's no longer 100% board gaming. Well, it was originally more. Role, Gen Con of all the cons was the role-playing oriented one. Okay. was the TSR one. It was mm-hmm. in, in uh, Milwaukee. Maybe in Lake Geneva before Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But the I one I went to was in Milwaukee. Hope. So it, it, it was really the, the... In most towns, in most major cities, you had... You had a um, more wargaming, board gaming oriented con, like in, in the Bay Area, we had Pacific Con, and then you'd have a more role playing uh, oriented con, 
like in the Bay Area, we had Dunter Car. And at the national level, you had Origins was the more uh, board gaming oriented, and Gen Con was the more role playing oriented. Okay. Uh, and, and now I think it's blurring. Right now, now I think it's, it's again. It's, I, I like numbers. If you would say, I would say forty percent is board gaming, thirty mm-hmm. percent is art role playing, twenty oh. percent would be event based stuff or cosplay based stuff. Okay, the dressing costumes. There would be these rooms where you can can do uh, dungeon adventures or you can do foam sword live fighting, live role playing, LARP. And then the last 10% would be... Yeah, that's the 20%. Then the 10% would be some some people... There's even like video gaming. Traditional oh, video gaming. Just maybe two or three rooms. There will be the old... Everybody here has played um, MechWarrior. Yeah? Uh, they like, would have the... the like the, the arcade MechWarrior or the PC or... Uh, they're both from the same... Game, right? Yeah, because, uh, uh, yeah. Essentially, they it's still there. It was there last year. It's still there this year. I believe it's been there for a long time. Essentially, at some point when the game was extremely popular, they made pods. They made mech warrior pods where you can step into it, and it's as if you were in the, you were piloting yeah. a mech warrior, and then you would see a screen, and the screen would be networked. Yeah, that was what was the name of that game? Not mech warrior. The um... The Battle Battle, 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 Battle Droids, uh, which Battle Tech. named to Battletech. Yeah. There you go. Battle uh, so essentially, Battletech. And then you would you would pilot uh, a mech. Yeah, right. And essentially, duke it out with nine other people. Ah. Like inside the... But instead of playing it on a computer screen, right. you'd be in... A, Controlling... Uh, and you'd be actually levers. like... Actually, I forgot one category con, and there were the miniatures cons. There still uh, are more miniatures-oriented cons. Because like, uh, miniatures always sell. Well, miniatures <laughs> always has its own draw. In Kickstarter, if you have a miniature, if it's fair enough, it will fund. <laughs> I'll give you a, a, a snippet that... This is a public snippet. I'm always surprised by this. I heard it last year. At last year's Gen I heard it again this year. And it's absolutely true. So you know about Fantasy Flight? Yeah. Uh, Fantasy Flight is this publisher of games, been around mostly Ameritrash games, mm. US based. I mean, those um, big box things. Yes, yes. Twilight Imperium. Twilight Imperium, uh, stuff like that. At some, so at some point, their sales were doing okay. They were a pretty profitable company. And then at some point, there was a year where suddenly their profits multiplied by like five. Essentially, at, su- at that point, their, their line graph became very steep going up. Mm-hmm. Essentially, their sales quadrupled year after year after that. And the one thing that the CEO mm-hmm. uh, was would say in every year at his annual report at Gen Con, he would say, the one thing that made the company successful in the last, like, last five years has been Star Wars X-Wing the miniature. <laughs> okay. Essentially, he would say, he could stop producing everything and just produce Star Wars X-Wing and they would probably retain 80% of the profit mm-hmm. and it would be as profitable a company as they are today. Yeah. Essentially, their entire money was made out of miniatures. Or plastic. 
<laughs> it's kind of sad. <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, a, it's an IP. It's, it's using so, a, a decent but, system. But Mark's right. They've been there for a long time. They've been pushing the board games, really. Uh, but I like the fact that even though most of their money is in the miniatures, they do still produce the board games. Yeah. yeah. It's been and ages since I bought in Innocent Flight. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they still push a lot of very heavy storytelling games. Um, Eldritch Horror is the newest um, one. It has a few expansions. Arkham Horror is this mm. large, expansive dungeon. I played the original Arkham Horror. Uh, Eldritch is... No, the original the, original. Yep, yep. The one from Chaosium. Oh, okay. <laughs> With the designer. <laughs> so, so going back to the Philippines, going back to, to our little corner of the world. So, I would say, sorry, I never told my story about how I got into this. Mark might get a kick out of it. Okay. Um, so, okay, I come back from, I, I was in Singapore for four years, literally, at the first world country that had, probably had more board gaming than here. Mm. Okay? And he didn't know about it back there. Went back here, uh, about 2008, and I was kind of looking for a job and then had some spare time. And then I was a member of a Yahoo group. Mm. And then they see an advertisement for something like Open Gaming Meet. Mm. Oh, what is this? Uh, oh, it's this Saturday. Okay, I'll go. Uh, and then it had a line said, oh, people may bring their own board games. My concept of a board game then was Essentially, you know those board games, you, those party games that you would bring out to host people? Sure. Taboo. Pursuit. Ah, okay. Taboo, yeah. pursuit, uh, stuff like that. So, essentially, I said, oh, okay, let me be let me be a good participant and bring my own board game. So, I took a backpack and put Taboo in it. Mm. <laughs> essentially. I remember seeing Taboo. <laughs> and then, and then, so, and then I went to the Open Gaming Week, which was already at your rooftop cabana uh, okay. at Ortigas. I think anyway. I remember this. I remember you there uh, <laughs> and then, uh, with the booth. And then I went and I'm like, okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mingle and then and then I had the plan B. My plan B was okay, I don't know what this thing is, and if it didn't pan out, at about four o'clock there was a movie I could catch at SM Mega Mall, okay. which was walking distance. So at the plan B. I went there and like, okay, this doesn't look like party games or taboo. Right. Uh, so I didn't bring taboo out of my back. <laughs> what is this? And then I just keep hovering around. I'm like, and it started already. It started about an hour before I came. So people were already sitting down mm. and playing. So, and I essentially didn't know anybody. So I looked around. And then I was already making up my mind to leave, to do my plan B. And then Nabs, mm. one of the organizers, approaches, hey, are you new? They decided to talk to me. I was like, yeah, I, I, I was curious. I saw this advertisement at the Yahoo group. Oh, you know, you, well, they were already playing. Then she, but, but I want you to... Then she sits me down with one of the groups. She probably knew everybody. And then she asks one of them, oh, I couldn't come in into the middle of the game, but you know, to explain the game to me as they were playing it, it was modern art. Mm. One of the most abstract, <laughs> but but pretty cutthroat auction game. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And then, uh, and about thirty minutes later, 
this this loud huge guy Rolf Rolf walks in the walks in the door and says hey I've got games looks like Santa right hey I've got games I've got my shadows over Camelot who wants to play with me and so I say oh that's interesting okay I'll I'll play and then and then we move over into the other cabana and then I I started playing and then I remember because Shadows Cover Camelot literally was my first play and literally I was handed the traitor <laughs> I mean I, I drew it okay, okay. and I had fun with it because I got to blame the owner of the game <laughs> uh, I got to pin the blame on the other guy so I had fun with it and then the rest was history okay I kept that wasn't back. that long ago no Shadows Cover Camelot how long ago was that? 2008 <laughs> yes I haven't been like I said I haven't been that far along but it, it has been a long time. And then a lot of the people right now, and I'm, this is going to be going into the third, the, 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 the third age of the last few years, a lot of the people right now who are, I would say, leading the, the community, I would say leading the industry mm. right now of local board gaming, were people in that second age, some maybe in the first age, who really kind of, Banded together. Mm-hmm. The owner of GameCraft is an extremely good friend of mine now. I got to meet Jay back then. Jay entered the hobby. Jay owner, Mata. Jay Mata. Yes. The uh, owner of Ludo now. One of the owners of Ludo entered the hobby six months after I went. Yeah. And really? he entered at the OJM also. He came, to the OG, he came to the OJM. He handed flyers for his cafe in mm-hmm. Taft. Which we went to. Watts. You went to Watts. Cafe in Taft. Hobby Mania. Yeah, 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 yeah. The train. Wow. You <laughs> <laughs> went with Vlad because yeah, you said, yeah, yeah. hey, let's support this, right, this right. new venture somewhere. Sure. So again, a lot of the people, a lot of the friendships and other people who I would say are leading the charge right now. Hans also is one of them. Um, and among other people, got to know each other and got to be gamers first. Mm-hmm. Back in that Second age, late second age. There were some people who kind of, sort of, stepped back a bit. I, I miss some people like Titus, for example. He's been there. Titus has been there forever. Forever. Uh, and and Titus ha- plays in all the genre, or at least Correct. he used to, because role-playing and yeah, the uh, Euro, this, the hardcore Euros and the lighter Euros and yeah, the Ameritrap. Yeah, the collection of about 100, 150. He used to Along with Brel before, he used to be the one to bring in maybe one balik one one balik buying box or two balik buying box of games mm-hmm. every maybe every other month right. uh, to try to sell. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and then some of them kind of step back because they they had families, they they had greater responsibilities. But, but n- n- now, sorry interrupt you for a second sure. but it, it just it just occurred to me is now maybe the characteristic of this third age is that it's gotten big enough that we all don't know each other during the OGM era everybody knew everybody mm-hmm. I may not like your game and you may not like my game but we all everybody's uh, played at least once in the same room or whatever and and uh, uh, interacted but uh now, 
we hardly know anybody but out of when I go either. to Dyson Dine or Ludo, I see a lot of people that I don't know, which is great. I mean, it's you know, growing. You know how much the community building back back then was? If there was somebody's birthday that month, mm. somebody would like say, "Oh, let's bring for a cake." I remember it was yeah. his birthday. Let's all like some people would like muster and say, "Let's all pitch in money to get a cake or to buy him a board game." Yeah. So wow. it was. It was because <laughs> everybody, everybody knew everybody. everybody. Right. I I I entered into the hobby, it, it uh, at a very weird time because, um, there was a in Plaza Cafe there was a game group meetup, um, maybe around fifty to sixty people on average. It was pretty cool. It was my first time to see people that many people playing board games at the same time. So I was like, yay, cool. And then. Stores opened, <laughs> so Ludo opened. <laughs> so the whole that group dispersed, <laughs> literally dispersed. It's like, oh, where's the game meets? Where do I go now? And sort of that's that also fueled a little bit of how variable play started because I wanted like the call to action. Hey, can we band together? Can we? I want to meet more people, and sort of that's why I asked help to from you guys because. You're correct. We don't know much about the past and all the people that are still playing games. You you know, like, um, if you talk about a generation, you're talking ages. I tend to think in generations. So a generation for for a family generation is basically the time between when you're born and you have kids, right? That's Mm -hmm. more or less a a generation. from a society standpoint, a generation is really uh, um, a number of years where people share the same um, culture, TV, uh, yeah. whatever, yeah. share the yeah. same uh, world. Up. Yeah. Sure. And a hobby generation, I think it's kind of the same thing, but even smaller. It's people who share the same, who kind of uh, got into the same games and all that. And right. the games are a moving target, right? Yes. It's continuously changing what uh, um, as it as it grows, and we're already we're already getting into other generations. Because I remember we had a talk. I don't remember if it was with you or Jay or a few of you guys, where the guys who were playing uh, Euros uh, um, in the at the OGM is very different from what's this what's being played mostly now. Right? Yes. Now it's become more uh, know, party. party. Yeah. yeah it's, yes. Uh, and so and the, the center of gravity is moving and yeah. moving and moving. Um, and even the the style of game design has been changing drastically. Uh, where a lot, a lot shorter. Uh, still meet some still meaty, but a lot you, more. You combat. see a lot of uh, sort of crossbreeding already in terms of ideologies, where you see like uh, Kemet, where it's a very Euro system, but they like really forced a lot of American style flavor and stories mm-hmm. in it. But the mechanics, not a single die is ever rolled in that game, so it's it's. You see, you now see a, a yes, a, definitely a different marketplace. I'll give you some anecdotal information. I know corporate boardrooms now have copies of Splendor. They yeah. have copies of 
<laughs> Avalon, the resistance. Um, resorts are asking for the stuff. Um, the offices are, are wanting to have the so It's become a mass market. Yeah. Great. And then I asked myself, when did, how did this happen? When did this happen? Because this was all just a small, smallish 200, 300 people being back then. And I asked myself, what's the difference? Were there board, were there board game cafes now? There wasn't them before? No. There was game crab before. Yeah. The food was just as okay, as, as acceptable as Ludo's now. Uh, was there, uh, were there not, were there people not importing games before? Was, was, was all the importation of games only happening now? Of course not. There was Tito's, there was bread. They were bringing in Balikbayan boxes before mm-hmm. of board games. Was there an online site? Like, there's online sites right now. Were there online sites before? Yes, there was tabletop wars. There was even a community before. There, was, there were hundreds before. Now, there are probably thousands. But what, for me, at the end of the day, I asked myself, I, I realized it's really just about, at some point, there became enough people that the thing no. now became... <laughs> that the thing, board gaming now became something a complete outsider would say, Okay, I'm going to give that a shot. Uh, because there were enough. Again, the keyword being there were enough people into it already. Would, would you say that the, the Dice Tower and Will Wheaton had some influence making it popular? Especially Will Wheaton. Who, no, they all came later. Y- yes, they, they have, but... No. Uh, they, they came in around um, 2011, 2012. They did, but again, if, I, if you think about it, the people who listened to Dice Tower were really the people yes. playing games. Dice Tower is really and, captured market. And tabletop, okay, Will Wheaton. Anybody who really didn't know Will Wheaton when he starred in Star Trek, Star Trek right. TNG yeah. really wouldn't know. And the people who, who, who did that were probably into... Kind of into the hobby and into the board gaming now. Now, the growth of the hobby is in the college students, is in the young professionals who may not be into the whole right. geek culture, yeah. but they see it as an enjoyable pastime. At one time, an office mate who knew that I was into gaming goes like, Dude, have you tried one night opening the wearable? <laughs> the one trying to tell me what game but uh, of course you'd be like oh do yeah, yeah, yeah. So lately we've been playing at Dice and Dine cool. so if you see a, a table of guys playing with a weird board that looks like a map it's probably us <laughs> and uh, don't be intimidated feel free to ask uh, and we're there really to to uh, uh, let people know about uh, our types of games. Cool. So, hope to see you guys around. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. I want to, well, I, I don't really want to talk about Gaming Library because that needs no mention how the people know about it. But I just checked it out. Tabletop Wars still exists. Still exists. <laughs> so uh, to all of you listeners out there, especially if you've only gotten into board gaming in the last maybe two or three years, for a colorful piece of history, go to www.tabletopwars.com and check out some of the threads there for some of the 
more interesting things that are happening in board gaming in the 2000s in the Philippines. Is it, yeah. is it and thing? Tabletop Wars What's is kind of... A, uh, apparently, the moderator is still... And you can edit this out. Brell is still posting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but posting. The, the August name. 25, man. Hey, but that's Brell. That's the yeah, side owner. But the last, the, the last one that somebody from... That wasn't the... Um, the administrator administrator was posting was uh, November 2014 which is not that but far but you can away. go into the archives and look at some of the and Tabletop Wars is kind of a misnomer because it's not really just uh, about, about Ameritrash or war mm-hmm. games or mm-hmm. anything like that it's it's really about more about Euros and, and RPGs actually, and what, board when, games. when you guys first mentioned I thought it was like a debate of which board game was better like you would no, clash no, <laughs> like Settlers no. versus I, Ticket to Ride. I think because <laughs> the guy who founded it, Brell, I think uh, he was into Ameritrash, mm. you know. So games like uh, Axis and Allies, right, I guess, right. and things like that, or Twilight Imperium. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Bye.